In episode 56 of MobyCast, we conclude our mini-series on how to become a great software developer. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about cloud-native development, AWS, and building distributed systems. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris and Rich. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey. Hey, guys. Good to have you back. So last week, we were talking about seven, do these seven things to become a great software developer. And we, of course, as, as always, we like to make these long outlines for ourselves and prepare. And it's it's very difficult to have all of the important thoughts that we have, which are the very important thoughts that we have, and keep them to 20 or 30 minutes. So we got through three of the of the seven things last week, and this week we'll do the other four. We promise we'll get through all the other four this week. And the first three were practice, practice, practice. So always making sure to write actual code. Persistence, which is not giving up when things get challenging and you know having the confidence that there is a solution to whatever problem you're facing, even if you need to ask for some help help to push through those difficult parts and finish things. And then finally, is number three last week was valuing understanding above correctness. So that was just really the, it boiled down to making sure you understand the code that you produce. And when you run into problems, don't spray and pray or don't make random changes to your code, hoping to make the change that makes it work. Because if you're doing that, that probably means you don't understand the code that you wrote or the code that should be there. So taking the extra time to get that right and to understand it is going to pay off dividends for your future as a developer. So did you want to add anything to that summary of last week, Chris? No, I think that, that's a that's a great wrap up. The one thing that did kind of come to mind is like when you're when we say that again, like the whole idea of like spray and pray or making random tweaks kind of open something will work. That sounds a little crazy, right? Like really software developers do that. But the truth of the matter is like, it's actually pretty common, which is kind of scary. So again, just reiterating, like it's so important to, to not have that approach, but instead truly just understand, like it's a great opportunity to understand what's going on, stick with it, have that persistence, strive for the understanding. Don't be, pressured into your velocity of getting work items done at the sake of compromising that that understanding because it's again it's just going to pay off so much for you um, as you go forward great so yeah as as we said we have four more to go so what's the what's the next one i'm gonna i'm gonna not say them all in advance so that we can be surprised as each one comes so what's the next one chris <laughs> Funny, we had like Vanna White or something turning, <laughs> turning over turnover numbers or whatnot. Yeah, so the the next one to talk about would be go review, read code, analyze code, great code written by other people. Like this is a great way to to learn and improve is by just studying the works the works of experts. And and this is this is true for like so many industries, right? Like artists do this, musicians do this, architects do this. All sorts of craftsmen have this kind of principle, right? So like we as software developers, like we should absolutely do this. So, and there's now with, with open source, it's so easy, right? It's so accessible to, to see these, to see this, these code bases and, and go and review them and, and get ideas and, and learn new techniques and, and see what it means to have elegant, concise, great code. So yeah, so go pick an open source project that you admire that's in your your technology stack and clone that repo and just start start studying it, look at it and look at it for things like is it is there a consistent coding style? You know, how readable is the code? 
how quickly can you understand like what is the software doing? You know, what about documentation or tests? Like, are there tests included? Are they manual? Are they automated? I mean, these are all things that you can look at that kind of help define like what what really great solid code looks like. I think for any you know mid to senior developers listening, one of the fun things about doing this is that you'll go look at some code and of, a, of an open source project that you really admire or use a lot, and you'll be like, whoa, not all of this is that great. I can do it as well as this. And that's just a really empowering feeling, right? Like, that's cool when that happens. Um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a sign that you, that you do have that. You've, you've done some of the stuff that we've already talked about. You've done the, the practice, 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 and the persistence. And that helps you kind of identify like what's good code and, and what's not so great code. Or like maybe you even think like, hey, there's a better way of doing this. Maybe you end up doing a pull request or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so absolutely. Can you think of the last, sorry to put you on the spot, but can you think of the last time you looked at an open source project, you looked at the code in detail and you're like, whew, this is so good. Mm. I have to admit, I'm, I'm a pretty tough judge. I'm not easily impressed. And this is true, by the way, even with my own code. So it's like when I'm writing code, I'm usually thinking like, wow, this is like the best I've ever done. Like, this, <laughs> this is beautiful. Like, this is great code. And then I'll come back to it like six months or a year later. And I'll be like, eh, I'm not sure what I was thinking there. <laughs> like, this is this could be better. Right. Um, so, but, you know, I can't think of any any particular open source project recently that I've that I've looked at that I've been really impressed with. Honestly, oh, I do look at a lot of software, a lot of open source software, but it's it's really kind of more a function of the fact that we use Node a lot in our in our projects. And so with Node has a great a great ecosystem of modules that you can pull in and use and whatnot. And so a lot of the times, just kind of understanding how things work or troubleshooting some stuff, sometimes the best documentation is the code itself. And so that's the kind of software I'm looking at. And a lot of times I'm kind of less than, than pleased with the, with the code quality. I'm almost kind of some, sometimes surprised that like, wow, this, this, <laughs> I can't believe this works. Right. Right. Um, you know, type thing. So, so it goes both ways, right? Like you can look at code that's, that's, really good and elegant and you can use it as a as a as a way of, of improving learning you can also look at code as a way of of kind of identifying like oh yeah th- this could be done better or this is like i can identify some of the things that make it maybe not such a great piece of code or you know maybe it's not maintainable or easy to understand and those are valuable lessons that you can learn as well right it just reinforces those those topics for you and, and kind of makes it gives you some of that that empathy that you need when you are writing code mm-hmm. to keep that in mind. So it, it's, it, it cuts both ways. Right. I'll ask myself the same question because I, I was prepared. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the last time I saw code that I was like, Ooh, pretty cool was a, a library called PS PDF kit. And I don't think it is not open source anymore. It, it was just the, the case that you could buy a source code license for it. And I was working for a client that had purchased that source code license. I don't even think you can buy a source code license anymore, but it's basically an iOS library for, for showing PDFs. And it's, and it really has become, 
if you need to do pretty pretty sophisticated PDF stuff in your iOS mobile app, and I guess they probably support Android now too, but if you need to do that sophisticated PDF stuff, like drawing on top of a PDF or having multiple layers or searching through PDFs or all that kind of cool stuff that you might need to do, it really became the de facto and Dropbox was using it and so, so many other huge companies were using it. It was the best library. And I just remember looking at the code and, and when I finally got my head around it, because it was fairly complicated, I was pretty impressed by how far the guy who had, who had developed it, it was, it was really a one-man shop at first, had pushed iOS. Like he really just wrung every last bit of everything he could from everything from performance inside of iOS to memory management to just like what was possible with the UI. He had just wrung that out of iOS and it was it was cool to read. So so there are good examples out there and it can and it's fun to be impressed by a piece of code. So all right, so let's let's move on to the next one. Yeah, moving on. So the the kind of the fifth principle, if you will, is details matter, right? So I'm definitely a big believer in this is that like Dotting your I's, crossing your T's is is really kind of important, especially when you the software you're building has more of an audience than just yourself, which is almost always the case, right? So, you know, your software, the, the software that you're writing, it should be consistent. So all through your code base, it should have the same coding style, right? Like, I don't care how many spaces you use, whether it's two, four, three and a half, just make sure that every single file has the same number of spaces. Same thing goes with tabs versus spaces. The the way that you comment your code, if you have a common header or something like that in the files, like that should be very consistent throughout the code base. You should, it should be organized, right? Like I should be able to look at the software, the the way that it's that it's structured, like from a directory standpoint. And, and it should be intuitive, like where I'm gonna find stuff, like where's the config gonna be? Where would I expect database, the the models to be? What about endpoint implementations, routes, and whatnot. Like all of that can be really easy for someone to to figure out just by a, an organized directory structure that makes sense. You know, also just don't have software in your in your code base that's not being used. You know, one of my biggest pet peeves is commenting out code. And you know, why why do it? They, they, this is why we have we have uh, version control systems, right? Like if you want that code back, it's easy enough to get it. Let your version control system help you find that, right? So, but by commenting the code, it just gives someone I have to, when someone's looking at that, they have to mentally process that and kind of understand, like, okay, maybe this is not important, but it's it's still there, right? So. Just get have to answer the question, why is this not important? Whereas it's better just not to have that question in the first place. Yes. Yeah. And then if you have dead code, like unused files, like get rid of them. Like there's just no reason to have it. So like there's nothing more satisfying like doing a commit when like the number of net new lines is negative. Like those are some of my, my, my happiest commits when I'm going through and refactoring and just kind of realizing like, hey, I just don't need this anymore and just just yanking it i would love to have a program that was a single line long that would be the best program right so yeah i'm i think beyond beyond those details are also just the details of making sure to think about what users actually do and thinking like a user like thinking about who's using the software what their expectations are and if those expectations are being met even in corner cases and then and then actually trying those corner cases out and not 
not just assuming that they work. I think that's part of thinking through details. And then the, another part of thinking through details is, is like reading, like if you have a UI and it's got words on it, just double checking that you spelled them right and that things are in the places that they're supposed to be and that they're the colors that they're supposed to be. Not doing those things is so expensive. Like having somebody else find those mistakes for you and then putting them into a system and then you look in the system and, and then take the card and assign it to yourself and fix the you know two second bug and then put it all together in a pull request and have somebody else review that code. Like, oh my God, you just added two hours of work or four hours of work, who even knows? Like a lot of work for different people just because you were too lazy to you know make sure that you spelled, you, you didn't spell guarantee wrong. Like, oh my God, just read, read it proofread your stuff that's a, obviously a pet peeve of mine obviously <laughs> absolutely yeah and, and i mean these are the the things too like it's it, you know it's pretty common for people to to not do this or to place less emphasis on it right but it really is important like being detailed at the end of the day it kind of boils down to just really caring about like what you're doing and treating it as a craft and not as just a job or a task, right? So, and if you do that, like, I mean, that's what, that's really what differentiates, that's one of the things that differentiates good from great. And just think about like piece of furniture or, or a house, you know, details matter, right? Like the way that you did the the joints on the piece of furniture, you know, how much care and craft went into it and the, how much attention was, was done, was paid to the details. Like that makes a difference between it, like, piece of furniture that's amazing versus one that's going to fall apart in two years. Yeah. Or even if it's sturdy, one that you ends up in a landfill versus one that, you know, is handed down from generation to generation for 500 years. Absolutely. Yeah. So take that same approach with your software. Yeah. Hey there, this is Rich. Please pardon this quick interruption. We recently passed an internal milestone of 30,000 listens, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support. I was also hoping to encourage you to head on over to iTunes to leave us a review. Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us. So give us an idea of how we're doing, and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. Okay, let's dive back in. Okay, what comes after details matter? Yeah, so moving on. Next one principle that really came to mind was just optimizing for clarity. So this is, again, another one of those things that you see quite often where people will, there's the tendency to, to prematurely optimize something. And we've all heard the expression, you know, premature optimization is the root of all evil. But, you know, you should really focus on making sure your code is is readable and maintainable as opposed to being tricky or um, clever type thing, right? So, you know, you, you may may use like a, um, a very language specific idiom that allows you to combine the equivalent of like four lines of code on a single line of code. And you may be all proud of yourself and pat yourself on the back, but now anyone that looks at it is going to take them 20 minutes to figure out what's going on, right? Or to go look up some obscure part of the, the language reference to understand that. And at the end of the day, there's really no good reason for, for making people do that. Like it didn't make a difference in the execution of the code necessarily. So wait, didn't... Chris, you, you had just said that wouldn't it be awesome if you could write a program in one line of code? <laughs> Absolutely. As long as that one line was simple, <laughs> concise, readable, and maintainable. 
It sounds um, to like there's a there's just like a natural competition among developers to be more badass, like and that that like leaks into language idioms itself. Like how dry can you make your code? How like how much can you pack into as few a characters as possible? Look at this, you know, it's only thirteen lines, but it you know it does like seventeen. Yeah, absolutely, things. I mean it it is, it, and this is very much a tendency of developers to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And and so that's why this kind of like came top of mind is like I would really love to see that not be the case like instead to have the badassery be in like taking pride in that when people see your code they're like oh my gosh this is so easy to understand like this Mm. is I can jump in here and I can start adding code to this with no problem right it's not going to take me a long time to come up to speed on it that should be the metric by which the badassery of your code is is judged not by you know these unrolling loops for performance reasons or you know using language specific idioms or you know doing some super complicated data structure you know because it saves you a few cpu cycles chances are you don't need that and it just again just makes it so much more complicated and like you don't need to show off that way yeah Um, and you know there are some cases where you do need that and i would say if you're that person that needs that you know it you know who you are you know what you're doing yes everyone else doesn't you're you're probably right in the compiler right right (laughs) cool so is there anything else we wanted to talk about on on optimizing for clarity i mean it's just one of those things that i i agree with so deeply but but it's kind of a simple concept yeah I, i would say too like you know one one of the ways you know that your code is very is very clear is by the fact that you don't need a lot of comments in it, right? So, like, mm-hmm. I would say, like, the more comments you have in your code, the probably the that's a big smell, a code smell that your code is not as simple as as it, it is, and it's not as understandable as it should be. So, right. I, I think you know, ideally, you don't have any comments in your code, right? The code should be self-documenting. It should be so elegant and well-organized and understandable and maintainable that it just documents itself, that it reads almost as prose. Like that's, that's the goal, right? Like that's, that's definitely what I'm, what I'm shooting for. Right. Um, Likewise. Yeah. So, you know, I just can't emphasize that enough. Like that, you know, if you can, if you can just really shoot for that as your goal, as opposed to trying to like prove your, your badassery and, and idioms or, optimizations or whatnot like that's the the wrong direction cool so our last and most important item on the list testing and really what this comes down to is it's accountability right so i think you know definitely in the past there we had organized ourselves as an industry to have you know separate teams of developers versus testers versus product managers and whatnot and now it's kind of all kind of become a bit more amorphous and, and don't typically have separate test teams, but um, ops. Yes. <laughs> Just throw them all together. Right. <laughs> but still, I, I, there's, I still, you know, there's, it's very common though for developers to kind of think like, okay, well, it's my job to write the code and like someone else, like whether it be the, the product manager or customer or something like that. Like if they find bugs, they'll tell me and then I'll go and fix them. And instead it really should be like, you take accountability for the correctness of your software first, right? Like you really should, you can't call your, your software done unless it's fully tested, right? So you should have your own, you know, you should obviously unit test or integration test. You should kind of understand like what's, what's the code coverage of this. You should be testing for all the exceptional conditions. You know, what are the unexpected things that could happen? Um, am I, 
you know, if you're writing backend software, are you, you know, not assuming anything like for inputs that are coming in, you know, to the system. So it's, it's just really, it comes down to that, just taking complete account, accountability for the correctness of your code and having kind of like that mindset that when people do find bugs in your code, like that's a bit of a disappointment, right? Like it's something that they shouldn't have found because you should have, you should have found it yourself. Mm-hmm. So there's a natural human tendency that I think we have to overcome in order to be able to do this well. And recently I shared with the team an example of this tendency that was that was on an article. I'll try to find it and post it in the show notes from the New York Times. And I'm going to give it away, unfortunately, so it's not going to be as fun for people that click on it. But basically, it gave you an example. Here's four numbers, and they follow a certain pattern. You can test it as many times as you want, and then in the box below, tell us what the rules are. So basically, the four numbers they gave were like one, two, four, eight. And then it was like, oh, I get the pattern. It's obviously squares, right? Like, like let me test a few squares. And so... Uh, so and I I to, I fully got caught in this. Like I tested a few squares. Oh yeah, totally the squares. Got it. And then I wrote in the in the box like the you know each number is the square of the one before it. And then I pressed submit and it was like eh, eh, you're wrong. The actual rule was that each number was is just greater than the number before it. Like you could have written like one three seventeen a hundred and that would have also passed the test. And the point it was trying to make is that when I ran each test, the answer was like, yep, that passed. And I was like, yes, of course, because I'm right. I never ran a test that was like, nope, that doesn't pass. I never put in, I never tested enough to get the no answer. Like if I would have put in, you know, four, three, two, one, it would have said no. And then I've been like, okay, well, it doesn't like that. And I think that that's what software developers do. And I think all of us do that. We run our code and we're a little nervous that it might be broken in some places, but we know we want to make sure that it works. So we go and make sure that it works. Yep, it works. Good, good. It works. But of course it doesn't work if you haven't really found out where it, you know, where it doesn't work. There's must be someplace it doesn't work. So yeah, I think that that's literally a human tendency. Everybody has the same tendency. It is absolutely one that you can overcome. So do it. Overcome it. Yeah, Easy, absolutely. Right? And <laughs> well, so yeah, we so we all have bias and um right. you know, pattern bias and whatnot. Um I think the, the good news here is like that would be an example of black box testing where just not doing an exhaustive suite of tests versus, you know, when you're writing code, you're you're really doing more white box testing. Sure, so sure. it becomes a lot easier if you, you can look at like, okay, what are the inputs to this? Like what are the what are the the normal inputs that I'm expecting? And and then okay, what are some of the things I'm I'm not expecting? So it become you you can you can actually make it a bit more structured. So that even even though you do have like pattern bias and and whatnot, just by looking at the the code and kind of being having the advantage of knowing kind of like what this is just a state machine, right? A function, you know, you have a function, it's a set of input, you know, what are the inputs to it? What are the outputs that I'm expecting type thing? I think with web apps, when I've looked at when I've looked at stuff like where people tend to not test their own code is, you know, let's see what happens if I log out first, if I'm not in the state I expect to be in kind of thing. Or let's let's see what happens if I go really fast. Mm-hmm. That's something that software developers I've noticed when they test, they don't like to go fast because they don't want to break anything. <laughs> yeah. So go fast. Try and break things. Yeah. Because your users will. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So again, at the end of the day, it just boils down. Just take accountability for the correctness of your software. Like don't expect someone else to, to validate and verify that. Yeah, you're, you're complete. Take that responsibility of, of your own. And you'll just, you'll be a much better software developer for it. Right on. Well, that was all seven. So we did practice, practice, practice. 
purpose. We did persistence. We did value understanding above correctness. We did review great code written by others. We did details matter. We did optimize for clarity. And we did testing. Did I get them all? That's it. It's all said. All right. Anything else to add, Chris or Rich, before we wrap it up? Not for me. No, you know, and this is just a collection of seven things that kind of came top of mind to me. It would be interesting to hear like what other people think as well. So any any feedback or other ideas on like on what it is that that really makes a, a, a great software developer, we'd love to hear it. Totally agree. And thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. All right. See you guys. Later. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash five six. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.